0: Which Pac-12 football coach had the best year in 2022? Might not be the one you think. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12 I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions, which is why, if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your 2023 goals. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. So, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and the realignment front is kind of playing itself out, and we got to talk about 2022. And which which Pac-12 coaches had the best year? Now, this is not which team had the best year. This is which coach had the best year. Number one, top of the list, Co-Pack 12 Coach of the Year is Kalen DeBoer. Now the reason that Kalen DeBoer is ahead of Lincoln Riley here, in my view, is because Lincoln Riley was at USC and did an outstanding job. Four and eight, eleven and three. Now you can debate the merits of. Washington won their bowl game, USC lost, Trojans played in the Pac-12 championship game, all that sort of stuff. Trojans end the year 11-3, and three, Washington ends the year 11-2. It's really easy to look at those coaches and say, yeah, they had the two best years from a coaching standpoint in the league. Some of the names as we go down the list, though, might surprise you a little bit. The reason I put DeBoer above Lincoln Riley is... Though Riley does deserve a lot of credit for the players that get brought in. There wasn't as much of a roster overhaul up in Seattle as there was in Los Angeles. And the brand of USC does play into that. So when I look at those two guys and say, well, they both won 11 games. Who had the better year? What's an easier coaching job, Washington or USC? Doesn't mean anything's easy overall in college football, but compared to one another, Washington is the tougher job. So that's why I put Kalen DeBoer at number one, Lincoln Riley at number two. I should have looked before I came on and recorded the show, but I'm not sure the last time we had two teams in the conference go from four wins to 11 wins the next year. I can't think of a time where that's happened, which is pretty wild. You know, even though they're two of the bigger brands in the conference, can you imagine, let's see, Arizona went five and seven this year and Cal went four and eight. Imagine if they won 10 and 11 games next year, just a one season turnaround. It's pretty remarkable. It wouldn't happen to those places because it's a lot higher to acquire talent and also uh, a, a crew, a cure. I don't know what word I'm looking for there. Anyway, so uh, DeBoer one, Lincoln Riley two. Number three is Jonathan Smith. Copac 12 coach of the year with DeBoer. Again, justifiably so. Now, Oregon State fans, don't hate me. I have Jonathan Smith here for a very legitimate reason. He is in year five for 2022. The other guys were in year one. Is it easier to win at the other places than at Oregon State? Yes, but five years is a long time. And if you're doing your job as a head coach, no matter where you're at, by year five, you should be winning. It's harder to do at Oregon State than at other places. And Jonathan Smith has done one heck of a job in more ways than one and had an outstanding year. But it was year five and that compared to year one, I don't care where you're at, four wins to 11 wins. I put Jonathan Smith there at number three. Number four, Kyle Whittingham. Just just rinse and repeat with that guy. You know, I find myself, I, as since I've taken over hosting the show, kind of falling into what I'm going to dub the Utah trap, which is going into next year. I feel like the Utes are a team who I talked up all season long and going into last year as well. I feel like Utah is a team that I'm going to start to just fade a little bit just for 2023 because their schedule is so brutal as we've talked about here on the show. But then I just have that thought in the back of my mind like, dude, are you are you making a big mistake there by just looking at Kyle Whittingham and what he's built and looking at the two-time defending Pac-12 champions and saying, "Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a nine-win team tops next year." Am I really going to talk myself into that? Maybe. Maybe you'll just have to subscribe to the show and and find out uh, as as time goes on. But I think Kyle Whittingham, you know, they had college football playoff aspirations a year ago, obviously didn't get there. But still winning the conference championship again, pretty darn good. I might have had him higher if they'd won the Rose Bowl, but that was disappointing. And Cam Rising getting hurt. Yeah, definitely a bummer. But Cam Rising also isn't playing defense. And that was not a great showing from the Utah defense in in the Rose Bowl. They've certainly had better. And I know offense can help the defense by, you know, giving them a break on the sideline a bit, but I, I think Penn State was just a better team that day. So I've got Whittingham there at at number four. Cause remember, th- this is kind of based on what the expectations were. And Utah was expected to be again a contender for the conference crown. And they were really good the year before. And they were really good in 2022. So I put him at number four. That might be a little low. That 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 could be a little bit low. If you feel that way, Utes fans, by all means, flame me in the comments. Because I'm curious. I'm always curious what you guys think. Talk to as many people as I can. I actually played golf, coincidentally enough, with not one, not two. I sound like LeBron here. Not one, not two, not three. Well, it was three. I played golf with three people who were either associated with or fans of USC yesterday. True story. And I, I talked to them extensively about, what do you think about this? What do you think about the Big Ten? What do you think? Of? All that sort of stuff. It was really, really fascinating. Anyway, uh, coming in at number five, this is when it starts to get fun. This, this is when this particular topic gets really, really interesting. Because I think most people might jumble the order a little bit, but would agree. The four coaches who had the best year in 2022 were DeBoer, Smith, or DeBoer, Riley, Smith, and Whittingham. That's my order. They may put them in a different one. Who do you put at number five, though? I tell you who I'm putting there. Jed Fish at Arizona. Look at everything Arizona accomplished last year. Won five games. That was four more than they did the year before. They turned recruiting momentum into on-field momentum, which is why I said, I think a week or two here ago here on the show, that I was surprised and a little disappointed in Arizona's recruiting this cycle because they had the on-field results and it feels like they didn't quite capitalize. And I'm curious to see if they're able to do a little bit more work in the portal, but Arizona is not though. It should be, but it isn't one of the easier jobs for football in the PAC 12 and you you're asking Jed fish to take over what was just a mess absolute mess i mean they lost what like 12 straight games when he took it over could it be any worse no i don't think so and they pulled the big upset of ucla and they gave mississippi state a good fight they beat their rival you're checking a lot of boxes there just go down the list boom 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 a lot of good things from jed fish we still got more than half of these coaches to look at And number six, again, probably isn't the guy who you think it is. I'll tell you who that is, though, after we talk about LinkedIn jobs. Because, you know, I don't know if these schools found these coaches through LinkedIn jobs, but if they'd wanted to, they certainly could have. Because if you're a small business owner or a hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 and beyond all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Drop. LinkedIn jobs. They help you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond the resume data and browse their 875 million plus member profiles to put your job post in front of the most qualified candidates. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Number six, I've got Jake Dickert at Washington State. I do. It may sound crazy. They didn't do anything spectacular or special this year. They lost to Washington at home in a game where I think they were only two and a half point underdogs. Could have won the game, but the defense wasn't able to stop Washington. To be fair, not many teams were in uh, in 2022. But I've got Jake Dickert there because what exactly was he working with? It was his first full season at the helm. He was an interim head coach. He started to implement his vision. I saw an identity with that team. I saw Cam Ward get better as the year went on. He needs to take another step forward in 2023 if Washington State's going to beat that win total, which I think could be a tough thing to do, especially since the Cougs are not bringing in a ton of talent in this 2023 cycle. But in 2022... Yeah, he did a really good job. He he really did. Was it like greatest job, outstanding? Oh my gosh, best thing ever. No. But was it better than you probably thought? Yeah, because it's Washington State. Gotta take all these factors into account when evaluating coaches. What job do they have? Are they set up for success? And he was able to incorporate a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, which I'll have to, you know, do again this year, in, in terms of, you know finding and incorporating a new OC. I got Jake Dicker at number six, real solid. Number seven, Dan Lanning. Won 10 games. Good. Lost to your two arch rivals and didn't get to the conference championship game when they really, really should have. I mean, you only had to win two of your final three games, two of which were at home to get to the conference championship game. That was a little bit of a letdown, not a major letdown, because there were a lot of elements from a coaching standpoint that Lanning upgraded from year from uh, the, from the year prior. The offense was more explosive. The offense was more multiple. They did a lot of things better from a coaching standpoint. But should the season have gone better? Yes, absolutely. And I don't think it's you know cause for concern in Eugene surrounding Dan Lanning. But in terms of how the 2022 season went, it was like a little bit of a disappointment, which is why it's top of the second half of the uh, the coaching list here. Number eight, Chip Kelly. Now, I went back and forth here between Lanning and Kelly. Lanning ultimately won more games, so I gave him the nod. That UCLA team had a chance. They were 6-0. They'd beaten Washington. They'd beaten Utah. And they were on. The, they had a path to the college football playoff for a long time. They had a fantastic path to the Pac-12 championship game, where they hadn't been in a long time. They had a fifth-year quarterback. They had an NFL running back. They had a great number one receiver. They had a new defensive coordinator. And they came up short. They lost to Arizona at home. They couldn't get a stop against USC at home. That was disappointing. And you got to look at the coaching and say, had to be better in some elements. I mean, they scraped by South Alabama, who's a good team in the Sun Belt, but it's, it's, it's the Sunbelt, you know, and it was non-conference and I, they should have been able to play Michigan, but the Wolverines, much like Ohio state, who I have more thoughts on coming in a moment, uh, <laughs> you know, bailed on them and whatnot, which stinks, but, Six and zero, oh, and then you go three and four down the stretch, and then you're nine and four. I mean, I said going into the year, I expected UCLA, or I'd predicted them to go ten and two. They ended up going nine and three, with that one loss coming to Arizona at home. It, it just that that should have been that was the team for UCLA to get to the Pac-12 title game, and I don't think they'll do that this year. I don't know when they'll be in that position again. Because even though they're in the in Los Angeles, not the easiest job in uh, the world. But I think that was a disappointing year from a coaching standpoint for Chip Kelly and his staff. So I've got him at eight. Number nine, Justin Wilcox. You won fewer games this year than you did in 2021. Now, were the expectations high? No. But it was year five. One, two, three, four, year five. Fourth full season. Okay, still, that should have been better. Now, did Cal d- does Cal expect or demand it to be better? Not really. I mean, it feels like they you know would like to win more, but is there an urgency? No. Wilcox floated his name to the Oregon job, and they gave him a big extension. But still, four and eight and they were in a lot of close games. Washington was a close game, Oregon was close for a half. It wasn't really close in the second. USC was close, UCLA was close and they just couldn't they just couldn't win those games. So, yeah, not 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 a great year cuz when again, look at what DeBoer and Riley did in year 1. Are they at better jobs? Yes. But look at what Jake Dickert did in year 1. Why in the world did Jake Dickert have more wins, three more wins at Washington State than Justin Wilcox did at Cal. There's no actual explanation for it, which is why I've got Wilcox at nine. There's an explanation, not a justification. How about that? Uh, Number 10, David Shaw only because they beat Arizona State. Um, Herm Edwards at 11, Carl Durrell at, at, at 12. I think those three uh, we all understand. And they've uh, made changes since then. Maybe they use LinkedIn Jobs to find their <laughs> their new head coaches, that, of course, being Troy Taylor, Kenny Dillingham, and uh, Carl Durrell. Uh, okay, so this, this question came in. A couple of you kind of talked about this when I was discussing Ohio State bailing on a home-and-home with Washington on Friday's show. And a point that I saw repeatedly brought up is well, the game was in 2024 and 2025, and maybe Ohio State didn't want to be on Amazon because they did, you know, nobody's going to be watching. Okay. First of all, what percentage of Buckeye fans don't have Amazon Prime? I don't know. It could be a high percentage, it could be a low percentage. Number two. And you don't know either. That's also why I bring that up. Number two, the people who are saying, I I was getting a good laugh. I got to be honest. The people who are saying, well, Ohio State is missing the exposure if the game were on Amazon. First of all, you don't even know that the game would be on Amazon. We don't know what the Pac-12 media deal is. We don't have it yet. We're waiting day after day after day. I expect it to be there before before the uh, the Pac-12 basketball tournament in Las Vegas, which is early March, it should be announced by then. You got to be talking about it then, right? Because those are big time, nationally televised games. But people are actually worried, saying, "Well, what if the game was on Amazon?" First of all, if it were on Amazon, Ohio State fans are so diehard they would either number one go to the game or number two. Get a 30 day fr- free trial or something of Amazon Prime so that they could watch the game or just pay, like, you know, for one month's worth to watch it because it'd be seven bucks. And to a lot of people, that's not, I don't even know what it'd actually be. But here's the third thing the whole premise of the idea that Ohio State didn't want to play a home and home with Washington because, oh, what if it's on Amazon? They could be missing exposure. You're telling me Ohio State that like, you're talking about OSU, like they're. Our OSU. This is Ohio State. They don't need more brand exposure. They just need wins and national championships. They're not sitting there worried about, wow, are we going to be seen by enough people to bring in high-level recruits? It's Ohio State. They could play on... I don't know, name the most rent. They could play on the CW and number one, people would watch. And number two, they would still have the brand power to go into a high level recruits home and say, Hey, we're Ohio state university. Do you want to come play football for us? Cause we'd like you to, we think you're a really good player. I don't think they're really concerned about that. I think they were concerned about adding losses to the resume. And do they need the game? No, absolutely not. Do I wish they kept the game? Yeah, I really do. And Ohio State's going to have Texas, at least in 2024, out of the SEC. And I totally get why they would choose Texas over Washington. It's a fairly simple explanation, which I'll tell you about after I tell you about Bilt Bars. And it's a fairly simple explanation why I like those. They're delicious, but they don't have all the fat and calories of you know like actual treats. So if you want something like that, you go get built Bars. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. They've got a bunch of great flavors. Mint brownie is my personal favorite. There's coconut almond. There's peanut butter brownie. There's churro. There's everything that you could possibly want. Raspberry, man, it's fantastic. 17 grams of protein compared to four grams of sugar and just 130 calories. You can get yours at built.com or you can go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club and pick up your latest order of built Bars today. Check them out. They're healthy. They're delicious. Go get them. It's very simple on the one hand, why Ohio state canceled on Washington. If you're choosing between playing Washington and playing Texas, well, it's a shorter trip. If you're going to go to Austin than it is to go to Seattle, you're playing against what will then be an sec team rather than the pac 12. And you're playing against Texas, which is a huge TV draw. Totally get it. So then that comes back to, well, If they can get all that and play Washington, why would they want to cancel? And I think the answer there is the upside was not as great as the downside. The upside to winning is if Washington's good, you pad your resume a little bit. The downside to losing is, ha, 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 you lost to the Pac-12. Or what happened with Oregon in 2021. And I think they looked at that. Assess the situation, said, Oh, we don't have to have this game. We can schedule middle McNeese, Tennessee State, and then drub them at home, bring in a bunch of money because people will pack the horseshoe to watch us play a glorified spring game opponent, and then we'll just proceed with a win and do a you know, do it Michigan style from twenty twenty two, which is why scheduling is so messed up in college football. It really, really is. Because schools can just do that, and then they will get rewarded for it. Yes, yeah, why I don't like scheduling at all in uh, college football. Okay, I think that's enough on that front. Um, people really concerned, like, oh man, oh, is Ohio State going to get the exposure? Like Ohio State needs exposure, and the other thing too. Let's say Amazon is part of the ESPN deal. You tell me that ESPN or Fox has to deal with the Big Ten, don't want to put Ohio State on TV every chance they get. Like, who's to say Amazon would even have the game? Ohio State in 2022, most viewed team in terms of average viewership per game in all of college football. you telling me TV networks aren't going to be clamoring to put the Buckeyes on every chance they would get? Okay, now I'm done with that. Uh, Last question. This came in from Dave. And if you want a question answered... You hop in the YouTube comments, which are always busy and always popping, especially because, as you can tell, I'm an opinionated guy. I monitor those. You ask me a question or at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12. Twitter mentions DMs, all of it wide open. Dave asks, does recruiting matter more in college football than X's and O's? Like, if Coach Prime just keeps stacking top 20 classes, even with an inept staff, they should be winning ball games, right? He is not saying that Colorado staff is inept. He's saying if they had a completely incompetent coaching staff, are they just going to win games if they have more talented players? Kind of. In college football, if you recruit at a high, high, I mean like super duper high level compared to the other teams in your conference, you're going to inevitably win some games because you just have better players. Now you may not win as many games as you want to with that sort of talent. If you don't have the X's and O's part of it, but I do think if, you know, to what Dave is asking here, if coach prime at Colorado does just stack, let's say three top 10 to 20 recruiting classes together in a row, Colorado will be a top four or five team in the Pac-12 just by virtue of having sufficient talent. Does that mean they can win 10, 11 games in a conference championship? Not automatically, no. But here's what I will say from personal experience. Mario Cristobal, when he was at Oregon, was an elite recruiter. He was not an elite in-game manager. He was not an elite game plan and schematic coach, but his teams and he had some coordinators who were, you know, some were a lot better than others. Tim DeRuiter's DC didn't work out. Joe Moorhead as OC kind of did. But before that, Andy Avalos was really good as the DC. Marcus Arroyo was just okay. He went to UNLV to be the head coach and it didn't work out there because he doesn't have that sort of schematic prowess. Those Oregon teams won a lot of their games because sometimes they just had better players. Perfect example. 2000 and what was it 20, 2021, Oregon hosting Cal. Kayvon Thibodeau is out of the game in the first half because he was called for targeting the, the previous week against Stanford. Oregon did not. Oregon staff got outcoached in that game. But they won because Kayvon Thibodeau just took over in the second half. And that's just one example of many where you just sometimes you just have better players. But here's what we also saw that year, the same season, that same team. Kayvon Thibodeau was on the field against Utah twice. Guess what? Kyle Whittingham had the schematic prowess and had the players to match Oregon. At least sufficiently. I think that it was a complete coaching mismatch, honestly. Oregon might have had, I mean, they had more recruiting talent. But I think they had more overall NFL talent on that roster. But why did Utah dominate those games? Because Kyle Whittingham outcoached Mario Cristobal straight up, full stop. 76 to 17 in two games. That's a coaching mismatch. So I think recruiting at a high level raises your floor, but you can't hit your ceiling unless your coaches really know what they're doing in terms of play calling and game planning and execution. Great question though. Keep them coming. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day.